Hello and welcome to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and streaming live around the world at cfcr.ca. I'm your host, Michael Peterson. With me tonight is Carla Griffin. Carla has been on the show before about her show Resolution at Paved, but she's here for a different reason tonight. I'm happy to say Carla is joining us as one of the hosts of Unframed. So tonight is really an opportunity to welcome Carla and to let you all find out a little bit more about her. So Carla, thanks for joining me here. Thank you very much for inviting me. And thank you for inviting me to become part of this process. Yes, excited to have you be part of it. Like I say, this is really an opportunity for people to learn a bit more about you. So I, I know when we've been talking about your past, you didn't start out in art. Very very similar to me, you, start, you went to university uh, in a different field, English as it was, correct? Yeah, I uh, started off in... English at Thompson Rivers University. I was also taking some biology classes. So uh, my journey, as it would be, to art was a twisting string rather than a straight line. So that jump from English to art, from something fairly academic in terms of researching other work to the creative process of your own, how did that start to come about? Were there classes that you were taking that sort of prompted this? Yes, in my third year of university, I believe, I took a photography and literature course, which happened to be taught by Donald Lawrence, who is um, a relatively well-known Canadian artist living in Kamloops. And that course really propelled me into thinking about imagery a lot differently. So I was quite interested in writing about imagery especially I was taking a Canadian literature course and I was very interested in the use of photography in literature. And so I took this photography and literature course, perfect timing, I guess. And that helped to really open my eyes to the history of photography, film, etc., and propelled my interest in it. Was this a journey then where you sort of left that literary field and started moving to art or was it really sort of trying to balance both? It became an act of balancing both. So what happened was, uh, based on that course, I enrolled in another course, uh, Introduction to Photography. And I was also taking some electives in journalism. So I took photojournalism as a way to combine both, of course. So I finished both degrees. I ended up transitioning into a fine art degree, but maintaining my English degree. So I ended up doing both. A little bit of time spent then, uh, some hard work in there, I'm sure. Some uh, definite sacrifices in the summers. I had to pick up summer courses, like full course loads and maximum course loads to be able to do it. But it was worth it in the end. Coming from that background, though, as you were saying, building from literature and thinking about the Canadian landscape and the role of photography, I'm sure that influences even the way you're approaching taking a photo or creating an image. Were there, uh, were you maintaining then some of that sort of literary influence when you were taking photos? Like, was that in there or was it really just now I'm going to go out, take a photography course and sort of dive into the materiality of that? I think the photography itself was quite separate. I didn't think about the literary aspect of it at all, I would say. Mm-hmm. I was very interested in the actual descriptors of a photograph in writing Okay. originally. And so then what happened is when I became more interested in photography, it was about composition, line. So I wasn't thinking about 
literature or the description of a landscape or the description of an object hmm. as a fo- or a photograph as an object at that time. Okay. It, I would say it, at the beginning, it was very separate. Well, and then eventually, like you say, started in Kamloops there at Thompson Rivers and eventually moved here. But the other part of your background that is influencing at least a little, I'm sure, you moving into Unframed is that you also had some background in journalism, correct? Yeah, so my journalism background started off in school. And one of my dad's friends worked at a local AM radio station in Kamloops uh, as an individual who has a relatively deep voice at times. They thought that it was attuned to being on air. So I did some small, I don't know if you'd call it internship, uh, volunteering, you know, using my own time to learn. And I was practicing reading the news. So I would be in the booth. The equipment was different than what we have here. A little bit yeah. more. More. There's a sound booth. Uh, there's an on-air sign like similar to here but it's signals uh uh, we also had dead air sounds so if there was something happening that shouldn't have been uh in moments when you were live versus recorded Mm -hmm. that definitely you were aware of that and a sound tech i'm assuming as opposed to doing our own that's right and so i would have to often read things over and over and over again practicing pronunciation enunciation proper usage of my voice which i don't do now (laughs) Right. So a bit more formal training, but... A bit more, but it's been many years. Fair enough. Speaking of those many years, then you did move to Saskatoon with your husband, Jordan, to go to school here and do your master's. What was that process like? uh, As you're choosing schools, I'm assuming applying to a number of different schools to start. Yeah, we applied to numerous different schools. This was the University of Saskatchewan was the only institution that we actually both applied to. Okay. And although we had other options, we both chose to come here for various reasons. Sure. And we came here in 2007 and we both completed our master's. And that process, uh, I don't really know what to say about it. I mean, we finished... Uh, I finished university a little bit after Jordan because I picked up the second degree. Right. Uh, we both met in university. And then we ended up actually moving to Prince George for a year working in construction. Really? So then from there, the application process occurred and we moved from Prince George, BC to Saskatoon to pursue our art-related studies. That... The master's is a bit of an opportunity, I think, to talk then about your practice a little bit more. As you were saying, you you came here in 2007. You were finishing your master's in 2009, correct? Yes. Which is the same time I was finishing my bachelor's. So I I just remember being, well, Jordan was one of my professors. He taught me sculpture. I, I just remember being familiar with both your practices at that time. And you were moving between photography, photo based works, which is a large part of your practice now, but also drawing and very photorealistic drawings. And I remember seeing your your MFA exhibition, which ended up being drawing rather than photo. I, th- I thought that was an interesting transition. To yeah, do you want to speak a bit about that? Uh, yeah, I had uh, I took uh, one of my courses that I took as one of my requirements for for my studies was I believe it was a third year drawing class with Patrick Trayer. Okay. So part of it, I got to teach a little bit as part of it. 
as well as completing the requirements of the entire course, which was a six credit course over both semesters, the fall and winter sessions. And it was in that course that I think that it was kind of identified and pointed out by Patrick Traer and numerous other people in that course that I could draw. (laughs) (laughs) So why not explore it? And so I shifted back and forth between the two mediums, sometimes trying to blend them, sometimes not. And I figured, well, if my master's is all about exploration and this is a safe environment in order to really test things out, then let's do it. So I did. And then that became actually the whole focus. But do you still maintain a drawing practice now or is it mostly photography? It's a bit of both uh, mixed in with some collage, Uh, sometimes some sculptural work, but it's really fleeting. (laughs) Thematically, though, uh, a lot of your work ends up focusing on the everyday, both in terms of the photography and in terms of the drawing. Where is that sort of interest coming from or trying to draw out of? Well, I think that there are a couple of different ways of looking at it. I'm really interested in the mundane, sometimes the overlooked, but I'm also really interested in mass production, commodification, consumerism. And I think that some of that is dependent upon my own personal history. When I was a teenager, uh, my personal home where my family lived suffered a house fire. So I pretty much lost almost all of my possessions. And when you're a 16-year-old going through whatever the you know turmoil that is high school both positive and negative when your whole kind of world is shaken up like that you think about things in a different way and you realize that you don't necessarily need all of these things but you're really fascinated by how much you want them back and why so my mfa was actually drawing all of the things or many of the things as much as i could get done within that time frame once i solidified the idea of the body of work was drawing all of the things that I had actually moved from Prince George to Saskatoon. So that's why the the title of my MFA was called Almost Everything. And so I think that the idea of my work often focuses on those ideas of the overlooked or what we buy, how we choose to get rid of things. Um, I no longer find this useful. I no longer find it attractive, but it's still good enough for somebody else. So maybe I'll sell it. Maybe I'll leave it on the side of the road, which is then kind of overlooked, but also a gem to somebody else potentially. I think that all of those things kind of stem from my relationship with objects from a young age. So Hmm. that teenage years. I'm not really sure if that makes sense to anybody else, but I think sometimes that people who have gone through a form of loss like that often have a tendency to want to cling to things or they have a harder time getting rid of things. And sometimes that is what I have gone through in the past. So getting rid of things is almost like a a parting uh, that takes some thought. That's interesting though, that emotional attachment that we have to these, like you say, disposable objects. And it's not even nostalgia. Like for me, it's not necessarily even about that. It was about, I think the, the forced situation where you have everything and then you don't right and having to like you say start again in in a very vulnerable time of your life and having to 
Well, because we do still in our culture often construct our identities through these objects we're buying, right? Definitely. And a lot of my paper supporting my thesis was based on or predicated on some of that research. So I can't deny all of that. And I have talked about ideas of nostalgia and ideas that build on identity, identity formation, um, how we, what we buy, what we surround ourselves with, what we wear, caters to the character that we portray, builds our character, etc. But even if it's not nostalgia, there's a comfort with the objects that we have or a way that they've become part of our everyday, right? Yeah, and that's why I think I'm really interested in those objects that are discarded because they're still kind of beautiful in a really sad way. And I, I really love that, I don't know, something that's been left on the side of the road that says free. Right. But they don't want it anymore and they don't want any value, but they, they don't want any monetary value for it, right? They don't want an exchange necessarily, but they still deem it potentially good enough for somebody to take. And it's kind of those little moments that I'm interested in. Hmm. Most of my work doesn't, almost all of it does not portray any people ever. Right. So it's kind of like a non-relationship with these things because it's the moment that it no longer belongs to somebody. Hmm. A lot of my photographic work is at least about that. So you'll photograph something on the side of the road, whether it be, I don't know, recently a dead coyote that was hit by a car. So there was a momentary interaction there, but all that's left is the remnant. And it's the same thing when somebody gets rid of something and leaves it on the side of the road. They had a relationship with this object and they cared for it potentially. I don't know their relationship with it if, if we're personifying it. But now it sits there awaiting either a garbage dump, a recycle bin, or a new relationship with somebody else. So it's kind of that in-between stage where it's like almost being looked at again as attractive, like you're buying it in a store, except it's minus the store. You're going to pick it up. You're going to take it home or you're going to give it to somebody or, or they're just going to throw it in the garbage. It's like all these choices, these paths, and we don't really know where mm -hmm. or why. And, and some people would say, well, who cares? It's garbage, right? But it, sometimes it's kind of just a beautiful photograph. <laughs> sure. But there's also, like you say, that notion of finding value in it, but not wanting value for it. You don't want it anymore. You, you're not asking to be paid, but you still aren't wanting it to go to waste. Right. And maybe that's indicative of the times in which we live where more and more people are interested and are proponents for recycle, reuse, renew, um, refurbish. Right. Maybe it's part of that. I don't know. But from even when I was a young child, oh, if you want to get rid of something, just leave it on the side of the road and somebody will come and take it, even if it's a broken lawnmower, because hmm. it'll be stripped down and used for parts, something like that. It's interesting, though, that notion of how we deal with waste, because there is this sort of, there are people who do go through these things and who do pick this up and who do find these things on the back of the road. And it, it's a there's almost a power imbalance then of the person who's able to give something away for free and not even ask anything for it. And then a person who will, like you say, take a broken lawnmower even. Possibly. Yeah. I, 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 it hasn't really been something that I've directly thought about in relation to my work, but definitely I well, can't deny that that's something. Uh, no, I just mean the, the fact that there is that, that exchange going on, like you say, that isn't monetary and that someone's not asking for something back. But yeah. The other thing that I like to think about is um, almost like the breakup. Okay. So some of my work has also been related to um, looking at it in a more comical way. Like it's not you, it's me. 
I, I, I don't, I can't say that you did anything wrong. I just don't want you anymore. Or you don't fulfill something in my life. Right. There's also to me a notion somewhat of the uncanny in your work in terms of objects that you might, you know, not expect to find. I think it's a piano in the field where it's the question that always came to my mind was how did that end up in the field in the first place? Of course. And then there's no trace of the people or how it got there. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the most part, I photograph things exactly how they're found. So I don't alter them. I don't stage them. But even more so now, you've been working at putting the viewer in the place of the photographer so that you're, you're, the viewer can start to relate to the object as you did visually in terms of height or in terms of the location of the photograph in the gallery too, right? Yeah, perspective has become more and more important over time. I think just thinking about uh, the making of a photograph a little bit differently, that's become something that I'm interested in the shift in perspective, how we look at art, how we experience art, how we think about the maker making art. Well, then just to shift gears a slight amount, the other aspect to me of your practice is education. You've worked as a sessional instructor for a number of years at the university. You won a teaching award a couple of years ago, if I'm not mistaken, for your work when you were there. How does you're, obviously, it's a passion of yours to teach as well. So I wonder if you could speak a bit about about that. About teaching? Yeah, sort of your approach to it or what you get out of it or the value you see in some of that exchange. I think depending on the teacher, they get as much or more out of the learning environment with their students as their students get. It's just a different exchange of information and experience. Um, I think that it's valuable to have multiple viewpoints on a subject and crossing subjects or subject matters in order to experience or diversify your experience. Hmm. Both of us have come to art from multiple different backgrounds or different areas. And I think that's healthy. Uh, It's a constant learning, trying not to become maybe stagnant and at the same time broadening your experiences of art, aesthetics. Well, sure, but also bringing in the different influences or approaches that might come out of a literary background as opposed to the way an artist would approach a subject, right? Definitely. And when you're a sessional lecturer or educator of any kind, often you're going to have students who are taking the course as an elective and they come from very broad backgrounds. So you could have a drawing or photography class and half of the students maybe in the summer session are... In kinesiology, some of them are in education, some of them are in biochemistry. They just need three credits in order to facilitate those extra components of their degree. And what they bring is so valuable because they do bring that alternative perspective and a different way of looking at things. And sometimes they can take some of the ideas that are presented in an art class, whatever it may be, and take that into their own field. Mm-hmm. So it is a great exchange. Well, and I wonder where, if you don't mind talking about where you sort of start with students then. Is it when you're ta- teaching photography, which may be the first art class that someone has taken, are you starting from like a compositional aspect or are you starting from more of like a material aspect, understanding, you know, almost the film and how a camera takes a photo? Or I'm sure there's both in there. It's both kind of simultaneously, and it depends on the type of course that's being taught. If it's a 
a summer course, you have way less time. And the courses are kind of day after day after day almost, right? So one one day is almost like a week. Sure. So you're doing both simultaneously. So you start off with the components. If it's a fo- photography class, you're starting off with the components of a camera and you're also building in design, elements of design okay. and composition. So you're kind of doing both. So one assignment could be in an introductory photography course. Once we understand the components of the camera, but we can't get ahead of ourselves because we're learning the components of the camera at the same time that we're talking about elements of design and composition. Mm -hmm. So we're showing that we understand how to use our camera by facilitating an assignment that is based on elements of design and composition. Right. And how to use our camera in order to achieve certain things. It's interesting because I think sometimes outside of that school environment, there can become a focus on one. You know, there are, I know photographers who are very, very technically skilled who might not know compositionally or even in a narrative form how to take a photo. And so I, I think it's interesting to try to create that balance because without it, you know, you, you get, you can become very one dimensional. Yeah. And every educator is going to be different in their experience and every institution will be different. Um, and every class has its own dynamic. So it, it's definitely a learning curve every time. <laughs> well, moving from there, I think we've got a couple minutes left, but I think it might be interesting just to sort of talk about what you're hoping to get out of this experience too. You know, it's, we're volunteers here and it's something I enjoy, but it's also something that fits into what for most artists is a busy week. And so I guess I'd say, where would you say your interest comes from? And what are you hoping to, uh, where are you hoping to bring some focus when, in your time here? Well, as an individual who no longer really teaches anymore um, in the art field, I work in a totally separate field now. I am very interested still in what's happening in our local community in regards to the art scene. I try to attend as many exhibitions as I can, and I like to talk about art with many different artists. So to be able to be involved in a a show such as this, where we can collectively inform our listeners of the different opportunities for art events and art-related involvement within our community of Saskatoon. I think that that's a really great thing. So I'm thankful to be a part of that process. There's a value that comes from being involved in the arts in that way. And it's, I I think that art shows can be challenging to attend sometimes, especially if you're not coming from that community. And it can be sometimes hard to, yeah, just to get into to start. But once you're there, like you say, there's these conversations that start to happen that don't happen in other places or that happen in different ways. It, sometimes it can facilitate that. And I think sometimes that brings an opportunity for us too, right? Yeah. And I think that the other thing that is really valuable about a radio show such as this is that you also have the opportunity to talk to artists one-on-one or in relationship with a curator about their work in a more in-depth way than you're necessarily going to be able to communicate with them at an exhibition opening. I don't know about you, but often you're at an opening and you have very little time to A, read the statement, B, walk around and be able to see everything, especially if the gallery is very highly attended. Hmm. So you almost always have to come back 
generally the artist isn't there. So all you have is that statement or speaking to one of the gallery staff members. So to be able to actually have an artist on the show talking about their work and opening up that conversation or dialogue to a broader listening audience, I look forward to that opportunity. Yeah, you're right. There's often a dislocation of the artist and their work where, like you say, in an opening, it's really, it's a social event to me more than really about absorbing the art. You're generally talking with others in the art community rather than necessarily viewing the work, even though you, you, you can, but it's just, you have much, like say, limited time. But the artist isn't present with their work otherwise like you would you know a musician in a concert is always going to be present even if you're not interacting with them they're physically there whereas with an artist it's usually an empty gallery and so this is one of those few times to like you say have a conversation with them that goes beyond the you know congrats good show I, I know for myself too part of my own passion is to talk about some of the work that goes behind it some of that life of the artist some of the the professional aspects of it because it's something that doesn't always get talked about and when we're looking at a show it's you don't necessarily know an artist's journey there i know that's something we've talked about that you have an interest in that too of talking about you know sort of that more fuller aspect of an artist's life well you kind of talked about how here we're volunteers many artists are working full-time jobs that are completely unrelated to their practice and talking about how they got to where they are in terms of their schooling their exhibition background, their residency experiences, their granting experiences Mm -hmm. and opportunities and how they have either made their way to the achievements that they've made or are an emerging artist and are still in the process of making their way. I think that those those conversations are a benefit to Mm -hmm. everybody, regardless of your current position within the art spectrum. As an emerging or well-established artist, it's also interesting to hear how everybody's opportunities have kind of shaped where they've come from and where they've gone and where they are now. Well, sure. And like you say, you talk about how you came from an English background and I did to an extent too. There's a lot of artists who come out, come, you know, there's a lot of people who don't go directly into a four-year degree, come out, be artists. I mean, that's generally not the path. And yet, as I know as a student, you, you assume that the artist that you're seeing is a full-time artist. And like you say, that's often not the case. And so it's nice to sort of unpack some of that and to sort of, to me, it becomes more approachable or more and more achievable to know that you don't need to go from working, you know, some unrelated job to being a full-time artist. There's a lot of in between. Well, and there, it's definitely important to understand the full-time artist. I'm not, I'm not a full-time artist. My shows are uh, few and far between, right? But I'm still passionate about art and I really enjoy being able to expose artists who are full-time artists to a broader viewership and or listenership. Sure. And just to, like you say, continue some of those conversations that we might not otherwise be able to have. Well, thank you, Carla. And like I say, I'm excited for you to be joining us here and continuing these conversations, as we said. Thanks again, Michael. Again, you're listening to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and CFCR.ca. A reminder is always you can find us on social media. We're Unframed Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you'd like to listen to this episode or any of our past episodes, you can find our podcast at unframedradio.com or on iTunes. 
Thank you and have a good evening.